You know, I just, just to reiterate a lot of stuff that Paul was, uh, Pastor Paul was sharing about serving, it just brought a lot of back, a lot of memories for me. Like, um, I remember uh, I used to play the electric organ. I know, how geeky is that, right? Praise God, I'm married, right? Uh, but uh, I used to play electric organ, then I entered, started first serving in church by playing piano and keys. So I remember playing keys, and one day they needed a bass player, and I rocked up expecting to play keys, then they grabbed the bass and they go, here you go. And then ever since then, I started learning how to play bass, and you know, it's interesting, then we played in a band, and I played in worship uh, team for quite a while, and then I was also leading the prayer team for the evening service. And then at that time, I was uh, working under uh, Dan Lian. Uh, and then one day, he just said, hey, uh, can you go preach uh, one of these Sundays? And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I listened back to it many, many years after. It was horrible. <laughs> this, this church is so gracious to uh, put up with it. But, well, here I am, and you're putting up with it again. Amen? <laughs> and so the point being is that I agree with Paul. Like, you just don't realize like, how the journey begins. And as we identify that in each and every one of us, the spiritual gifts are for the common good, yeah? So the common people around them have to say, hey, I see this good in you and call it out. And you've got to give that space and act on it. And it's amazing when it's a spiritual gift, how God just uses it uh, for his glory. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? So we can kind of see from that angle, uh, that would be uh, really amazing to see you move from refresh to revival. Amen. Okay, so today... Uh, we're going to continue uh, with the series called uh, Time with God, uh, Devotion. And uh, a few weeks ago, a, few mo- a month ago or so, I had this phrase, God in hard places. And I felt God is saying, preach on that. And so that's what we're talking about today. Okay? So let's go straight into the Word of God. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7. And uh, a little bit like what April was sharing, I, I don't believe I told Paul uh, what I was preaching on in terms of the passage, and then this morning he was sharing from that passage in prayer. Yeah? And uh, I just felt that real affirmation, this is uh, the word of the Lord for us. So let's uh, read into it. This is Paul the Apostle writing his second letter to the church in Corinth, which he had planted and established. Um, I want to go into the context and the details too much. I want to particularly focus on this where Paul gives uh, this statement from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. This is the NASB version, and this is what it says. But we have this treasure. Everyone say treasure. Treasure in earthen containers, or other translations says jars of clay, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And this is the word of the Lord. Let me just pray. Lord God, I just really want to thank you so much uh, for your word. And I thank you for your spirit that is at work in each and every one of our hearts, God. God, I thank you that we preach you, Christ, and not ourselves. And Lord God, we thank you that the great power that is within us is not from ourselves, but from the spirit that you put inside each and every one of us. 
So God, I really pray, God, that you would open our eyes, help us to see your hand at work in each and every one of our lives, in whatever season of life we're in, including those who might be in hard places. We just pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Now, how many of us watch Netflix? Put up your hand. Yeah. Uh, how many of you guys are Netflix junkets, you know? Uh, who, uh, one of the latest series that, you know, I watched uh, probably a few months ago is called The Recruit. How many of you have seen that? The Recruit? No? No one? Yeah? It was fantastic. I feel like alone here, right? <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, I was trying to set it up for this next confession. You know, one of the key series that I like when I go on Netflix, I usually like rom- rom-coms. I like romantic comedies. I know. I, I actually really, really do. In back in the days, Meg Ryan. Who ma- remembers Meg Ryan? Yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, it shows my age, right? But it's like, uh, you've got mail, you know? I used to love those kind of rom-coms. Anyway, so on Netflix, confession, uh, the latest rom-com that I've been really into is called Emily in Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she used to be on a pedestal now. He's like, oh, wait out there. Even Eugenia, my wife, was like, you know, judging me, saying my husband watched Emily in Paris, tells everyone that, and you know what? Now she watches Emily in Paris, <laughs> right? So, so be careful when you judge people, you know? But uh, Emily in Paris is a, uh, and all of you are now first note for today, Emily in Paris. Watch Emily in Paris, right? Um, but anyway, it's a rom-com, and it's about this girl, Emily, who's on the far left, uh, and she is like working in a marketing company and she got a chance to work in France. And it's like, oh, fashion and, you know, food and romance. And it's basically, uh, you know, three seasons and it kind of captures this story of Emily being in Paris, loving Paris and American culture, you know, whether it's true or not, butting its head against French culture. Anyway, so there's one particular situation where she had a chance to be able to represent uh, a lady by the name of uh, Brooklyn Clark, who's an American actress who does a lot of rom-coms, okay? And then uh, she's so, so excited, and I just want to share with you the conversation in this particular episode, yeah? And so she said, I'm so excited. So she's saying this to her French colleagues and all that, and she goes, I'm so excited that I get to represent Brooklyn Clark. And she goes, you're not a fan? She's a massive, big uh, movie star. And then a the French guy was like, you're in America, but in France, she is so-so. Her genre of movies, and my French accent is terrible, her genre of movies are seen as a little bit foolish. And then it's like, foolish, you know? And it's like, really? Why? American romantic comedies are so dishonest. Here, we like more of a French ending. And it's like, which is what? Tragic. <laughs> more like life. Like he dies or loses a limb. (laughs) Happy endings are very American. And she goes, but they give you hope. And the hero wins in the end. Don't you want to see the hero win? And he goes, no, I want to see life. (laughs) The hero tortured for his love. (laughs) Don't you want to go to the movies to escape life? Thinking you can escape life is your problem. You can never escape life. Never. And he walks away. So in an hour's time, you guys are all watching Emily in Paris, right? 
And then at the end, the other guy goes, welcome to the French ending. <laughs> it was such a pointed moment in, you know, uh, 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 an episode, but um, it kind of really captures a bit of a sense about how we sometimes view life, or even the way we view, you know, for our theme for this year, being refreshed to revive. I mean, what does a life of revival actually look like? And my segue into it is that, does it have the dishonesty of an American ending? Or does it have the cynicism of a French ending? Do you have one that is hopeful, that lifts you above the trouble of life? Because we want to see everyone move from refresh to revival, amen? Who wants that? But what picture do you have in your mind when you are living that life of revival in your everyday world? Is it one where everything smooths out and you're giving like a red carpet club through life and there are no problems and no difficulties? Like the hopefulness of an American ending. But if we're going to be honest, what does revival look like when you can't escape life? What does being refreshed and revived look like in your everyday, ordinary, mundane world when you're in the daily grind, having to go to a job that you know, earns a living, but you don't really love. What does refreshing revival look like when you're struggling with a chronic illness that it's not like you're going to find a cure overnight? What does refreshing revival look like when you're in a relationship or a marriage that you find challenging? What does refreshing revival look like when you're having the time of your life? What does refreshing reviving look like when you are facing financial struggles? Or even some of us in this new season of our life, what does being refreshed and revival look like when your body is aging and you're recognizing the limitations of your body? But what does refresh and revival look like? And I want to be able to bring into this scripture, it gives us a vision of revival for your life and my life that does not have the dishonesty, the romantic dishonesty of an American ending. But neither does it have the cynicism of a French ending. And here when we go into the scripture, it's what I would coin Paul giving us a Christ-centered vision of revival. Everyone say revival. Not an American version, not a French version, but a Christ-centered version. A Christ-centered vision of revival. And this is what it says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay in earthen containers so that this extraordinary greatness of power will be of God and not from ourselves. And here he says, yes, we are afflicted. How many of us have gone through affliction? Put up your hand. Yeah, afflicted in every way. French, right? But not crushed. American. Amen? Yeah? Now, many of you guys won't say amen to that, right? I, I refuse to be... You know, in a, yeah, identify with Americans. But anyway, um, perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to the death because of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And then you read on to verse 16. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. And that is the biblical ending of a rom-com. 
Amen. Yeah? And here, Paul gives us this vision. It's not one that is like, hey, revival means that I'm avoid from all these issues. No, these issues exist. Let's face life. You can't escape life. But also, there's hope. Not a man-made hope, but a God-inspired hope. That both can coexist. Both exist at the same time. And I don't, the reason why this is important is because I don't know what 2023 is going to look like for you. I pray that it will be a season of blessing but we cannot escape life. But the thing is, just because you go through some of those things in life, it doesn't mean that we cannot experience refreshment and revival in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? I'm learning how to ask that question at the right moments in time. Right? And so, the thing is, how does Paul live like this? Okay, cool, Pastor Chi, I, I know you're saying that. Those both things coexist. But how do we actually live this? And this is where I want to speak into today about grace in hard places. Because Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, something divine, something powerful, but it's not from myself, but it is of God. And he knows that this power is not just based out, based out of human strength or determination or discipline. But this divine power and enablement to be able to rise above those situations is of God. In fact, we read in other um, passages in 2 Corinthians 12, a little bit further down, verses 8 to 10, very famous. And I don't have time to go through the whole different aspects of the Bible around this. But he says here three different times, Paul says, I beg the Lord to take it away. Each time he said this, my grace. Everyone say grace. My grace is a little bit of what I need. All you need. My grace is all you need. Why? Because my power works best in weakness. And here he has this vision of knowing how to embrace the realities of life, but yet how to rise above it because he knows grace in hard places. He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, in the insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. And here, Paul the Apostle experienced and depended on God's empowering place, uh, grace in the hard places of life. And I just want to just share three insights out of that passage that we've just read in, in 2 Corinthians 4 about how you and I can experience God's power and grace in hard places so that we can live out this Christ-centered vision of revival, no matter what happens to each and every one of us in 2023. Who will like that? Amen? Now, a lot of what I'm going to be sharing has been largely just been formed over my life over many years. Not that I've attained it. I haven't. But I've been influenced by Paul Tripp, Tim Keller, many others. So some of that I'll be referencing. But I want to be able to share some of that and workshop that into life. So the first is this. Here Paul goes, but we have this treasure in earthen containers so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And here he gives this picture. What, what is this treasure? It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a light that shines into the darkness of our heart. It's basically, if I was to summarize it in a cheap, simplified version, is that God has decided to forgive us 
be in restored relationship with us, remove our sins, and be able to unzip us and put His very presence inside of us 24-7. Can I hear an amen? Now, we underestimate the implication of that. Then now, we don't just have a treasure outside of us, we have a treasure inside of us, inside this earthly container, inside this very jar of clay. I love Paul Tripp. This is what he says, that not only does God in His grace deal with the guilt of sin, He deals with its power as well. You know, a lot of us understand grace in terms of God forgiving us of our sins, but we don't understand the grace that God gives us, which is His divine power to live out a holy, godly life. And so here he's saying that God is not just removing us from the guilt of our sin, but He realizes that sin makes us unable to live the way God wants us to live. I mean, think about it, right? How many of us, right, when you have a piece of chocolate cake in front of you and you go, do not eat it, what do you do? You eat it, right? But, but yet, sin makes us unable. We know the things we ought to do, but we do not have the power to do it. And so God, by His grace, cleanses, make this temple, not this, this temple, holy, righteous in His sight because of what Christ has done and now lives in us by the Holy Spirit so that He can enable us to be able to live out His will. Here, Paul Tripp says, sin leaves us weak, lame, and unable It makes it impossible for us to keep God's law. It wasn't enough for God to forgive us, although that forgiveness is a glorious thing. God comes to live inside of us by His Spirit, giving us new life, empowering us with the desire to do what we are unable to do without the indwelling presence of God. Can I hear an amen? We have these treasures in jars of clay. God now lives in me. And His grace and empowering grace can be found in this earthly, ordinary, mundane, human part of my life. Now, that's not a new thought. But I remember many, many years ago, when I was listening to some of the things that Paul Tripp was talking about, he was articulating about life. And he says sometimes our life is not defined by two, three life-changing moments. Our life isn't established in big moments. I mean, think about the big moments in your life. Got married, had a first job, had a child, right? Think about the big moments in your life, the big decisions. I bought a house, I had my first mortgage. Whatever it is that it is, but yet our life isn't established in big moments. He goes, our life is established in 10,000 little moments. The character and quality of life is defined by the 10,000 little decisions desires, words, and actions that you make every day. The confession that you make in 10,000 little moments of conviction. The courage that you choose to have in 10,000 little moments of faith. The obedience to God that you have in 10,000 little moments where you get to choose your kingdom or you get to choose His kingdom. And it's in this 10,000 little moments of everyday moments is where our marriage, our relationships, our life is established. And when I first heard that, and this is the most amazing thing, and it's in those 10,000 little moments, because now we have this treasure in jars of clay, that Jesus is active and present at work. Can I hear an amen? So this is my summary of it, is that here, that if you want to find grace in hard places, part of the hard places is the everyday grind. 
but we can experience God's grace. The grace to experience Him in the everyday grind of life. You know, when I, I remember this. This is, I don't know, about seven, ten years ago. I was preaching at a, a young adults church camp. And I remember when I first began to open, God opened my eyes to this thought that it's in the everyday little moments that really count, that is sacred. And then all of a sudden, it changed the way I read the Bible. You know when you read Hebrews 11, you know, the whole halls of faith? Yeah, you got Noah who built the ark, Abraham who went to where he didn't know. It sounds so romantic. But all Abraham did was he left his home and went to a place that he never went to and had a kid. How many of us have done that? Now, I'm not trying to belittle it. Obviously, he sacrificed his son Isaac, right? How many of us would do that? Probably not. But my point is, those are big moments. But what are the everyday little moments, the 10,000 little moments that would take for him to live that out? Think about Noah. I can't remember how many years. Maybe someone can help me. How many years it took him to build the ark? 50? I, I don't know. Let's say 50, okay? But he would have spent ages building the ark. Can you imagine? Every single day, right? He builds the ark, gets up, wakes up, builds the ark, and then he's going, everyone's going, why are you building an ark? Oh, it's going to flood. I haven't seen rain for years, right? You go, you're crazy. Let's play it out in 10,000 little moments. This is what it's like, right? You wake up in the morning, and then all of a sudden you grab your phone, and then you check your uh, weather app, right? What's the weather today? Sunny. Oh, man. That means I'm going to get up, build this boat. Everyone's going to mock me and say, what's wrong with you? Okay, Tuesday. Sunny. I'm going to get up, build the boat, and everyone's going to mock me again. Wednesday. Thursday. Friday. Saturday, Sunday, and again, and again, for over 10,000 everyday moments. How many of us would have done that? But yet, God, who now lives in us, is active. And if we just open our eyes, the spiritual eyes of our heart, we would see his grace for us, his invitation, his opportunities for us to experience him in the everyday grind of life. Grace is there when you're worried about your financial struggles because then Jesus walks with you and says, you know, look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about what's going to come next. Grace. When you're hurried and feeling the weight of responsibilities, you've got deadlines for your work, and then you decided to go, let's pause and let's go out for a walk. And then you look at creation and you see stars, and then all of a sudden you pause, and you have this moment of rest and solitude, and you just go, God. Then he points out and he goes, you see the, those birds? You see the stars? I put them in place. I'm running this world. Not you, me. So Relax. And all of a sudden, you experience the grace of God in that moment, in that everyday grind, and then you find peace. What about the grace of gratefulness? When things don't go your way, and you've got so many things to complain about, and then when you decide to stop, and you do the practice, Heavenly Father, thy kingdom come, your will be done, 
you begin like what we psalmists do, you always praise God for the things that's happened. But yet in the moment, when you begin to look at the things you've been given rather than the things that have been taken away, the grace of gratefulness comes into your life. As parents, you know, we've got to manage children all the time. We love our children. My kids, I love you. But we all know the daily grind of parenting. Can I have what I want right now, right now, right now, right now, 10,000 times? Right? That's when Pastor Chi becomes unholy dad. Right? But yet, you kind of got to do sometimes to just pause and the grace of appreciation where you just stop managing your kids and you just look at them and you go, God, I thank you for them. And you realize it gives our children from God. I remember there was an ex-senior pastor. The church, before this building was built, we were in Sarton Road. We were meeting in a massive uh, warehouse type thing. And there was a pastor. He, was, he used to be a senior pastor of a church many years ago, but he was, a, he was a lot older, and he was wanting to kind of volunteer and help. And I remember this moment. I was downstairs, and it was kind of like a warehouse feel, and then there was some um, handrails like that, and he would be wiping every single handrail down from dust, and he would be whistling and singing with joy. That's the grace of God in the daily grind. Can I hear an amen? Now, when Paul says we have treasures in jars of clay, the implication of that in a daily sense is that we have the grace to experience God in the daily grind of life because he lives inside of us 24-7. And it's not just in the big moments, but in the 10,000 little everyday moments where he's actively at work in our lives. Can I hear an amen? Yes, I'm saying in the right place. Good. Now, the second thing is this. He goes on and goes, not only do we have treasures in jars of clay, but we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. I just got no idea what's going to do. How am I going to find my way out of this? But I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, criticized, but yet not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested through me. So death works in us, but life in you. And when you read this, you get what you call the paradox of human weakness, but yet divine strength. Here, we don't have capacity. We are unable. We are limited, but yet God is strong. And what's insightful about this is that Paul says this. He goes, it's not the grace of God doesn't save us from weakness, but gives us his power in our weakness. And here he's saying, I experience all this weakness. I'm afflicted. I'm persecuted. Sometimes do I feel sad? Do I feel, uh, you know, anxiety? Do I feel all those things? I feel those things because this is an earthen vessel. This is a jar of clay. But, yet, there is this divine power that it is at strength. So many times when we face weaknesses or issues... When we come to God, we're in a relationship with God. God's going to help us escape our weaknesses. No, He will transform our weakness. But there are some things that we will live with until He comes again. And as we live with that weakness, He doesn't help us escape from it. But He goes, in your weakness, I'm going to give you the power to deal with it. Can I hear an amen? Where it would have crushed someone, it doesn't crush you where it would have brought someone to despair, it doesn't with you, you still have hope. But yet, this not from yourself, because we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ in us. So how do you do that? Well, it's not me. 
Is Jesus living in me? And here Paul had this ability to understand and depend on the grace, the divine power and enablement of God in his weakness, in his brokenness, in his hardships, in his moments of affliction and despair and perplexity and being struck down. I reckon when I was earlier in my faith, I had a tendency to think that when I come to God, he's going to remove all these weaknesses and overcome it. But I'm beginning to recognize more and more that those two things will coexist. And I have to learn how to live with the two together more and more. Can I hear an amen? Like you see me preaching up here, you don't think I'm like worried or like confident. I'm super negative to myself. When I come down, I'm going, that was horrible, that was terrible. That's actually what's going on in my head. And I can openly admit that to you guys without feeling ashamed because the grace of Jesus frees me from your opinion. (laughs) Not in an arrogant way. I care about it, but not so much that it controls me. That makes me bear an image that is not real. No, I can be free to be me in my weak self, but yet wholesome self because of Christ. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? But I've realized, no, those two things exist. And so, for example, life case today, I'm like, oh man, how am I going to present this in a way that makes sense? Then later I went to the prayer room, and then Paul is sharing the exact passage, and then bang, it's like the grace of God was there. This is what God wants to share. Relax, she, I've got it. Can I hear an amen? Not from me, but because of Christ in me, but also in you and through us together. And this is where I'm realizing more and more those two things coexist. A few examples out of this. How do we experience God's grace in our brokenness and weakness? I heard about this pastor. I don't know him. It was a secondhand kind of story. He's a pastor in Melbourne. He's got children with special needs and disabilities. So he's a senior pastor of a church, and he actually um, built this church, and one of his vision is to be able to employ people with disability. And this is one of the phrases that he said. It's not disability, it's called distinct ability. Don't see it as an error. Yes, we understand the fall and all that, but you know what? They have distinct abilities. I just need to call them out. And here he began to have this vision and he built this organization called Distinctability. Now, I don't know too much about it, but when I hear those stories, I'm going, this is the guy who depends on the grace of God. Can I hear an amen? How do we experience the grace of God in our brokenness and weakness? During worship, I had this uh, thought to, to speak on. It said, we got to start being able to engage the power of praise again. The power of praise. I'm going to go a little bit penty on you, okay? Right? Hallelujah, right? Thank you. You guys are not, come on. Hallelujah. Ah, thank you, right? But we sometimes forget that in the brokenness, when we lift up an offering and sacrifice of praise, somehow, in some incredible way, the grace is there, the peace is there for you in the midst of your hardship and suffering. I remember that when I had my cancer, my body was aching. I was in so much pain. I had a nasogastric tube. I had to, anyway, but in that, I remember singing the song, None But Jesus. 
And that was my moment of praise. I was weak. I was broken. I don't have enough strength to even talk without experiencing pain. But yet in that moment, all of a sudden, none but Jesus. Yet he calls me. And it's like, I, I don't have anything else now. I don't have my dentistry. I don't even have my health. I don't even have my voice. But what I do have is Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen. None but Jesus. But that was enough. Not to be crushed. I experienced affliction, but not crushing. Because of the power of praise. So when we worship together on Sunday, it's not like, let's wait until 20 minutes past the preferred sermon and you come or whatever. No, it's a spiritual activity where you learn the discipline of the power of praise and speaking into your soul like David says in the psalm, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in the Lord and rejoice in Him. And that is the power and practice of praise. The third thing I want to share is the grace to face your weakness as an example of this point. I used to recognize grace as something that is just a feeling or whatever, but I realized it's in hard places that grace can come for us to face our own weaknesses. What do I mean by that? There's a great story, um, Paul Tripp, and this is, I love his stuff around understanding this because he's a biblical counselor. So he gave this particular story about how he, as dad, it's like 10 o'clock at night, and then his young son comes up to him and goes, Dad, I have a science project that's due tomorrow. It's like, thanks, son. Uh, I need a poster, I need pens, and I need some little chicken eggs. And it's like, at 10 o'clock at night, you're telling me this, right? You guys can all imagine, put yourself in the shoes, you start going, why on earth are you telling me this now? I'm willing to help you. You should have told me a week ago, right? You should have been more organized. Why are, you not, why are you putting this on me now? Now I feel the burden and the stress to build. And then all of a sudden you get angry and then it affects your relationship and how you relate. But then he then articulates that spiritually, yes, sure, there is an issue of procrastination. But have you procrastinated before? How many of us procrastinated? How many of us sort out our text the night before we see the accountant? But yet, self-righteousness stops us from seeing those things in this moment. No, I sort myself out. I don't procrastinate. I get my stuff in order. Why can't you sort that out? But yet, isn't that moment grace? Where God is rescuing me from me. My self-righteousness, my lack of self-control, my anger that it begins to affect my relationship with my son. Maybe the posture where the grace of God to rescue you from you is where you go, I'm exactly like you, son. I know what it's like to be in this situation. Let me come by your side and let's find a way forward. Isn't that posture so much more approachable? But how many of us do that? Okay, maybe you guys do, I don't, right? But what Paul Tripp did was to go, you know, that moment of frustration in that everyday moment is God trying to rescue you from you that is in that heart because sin makes us self-loving, self-preoccupied, self-interest. But yet Christ died so that we no longer live for ourselves but for him and others. Can I hear an Amen.
I had this sense when I was preparing for this. There are some things of your weakness that God wants you to face. But you're scared to face it. A little bit too broken. A little bit too fragile. But I pray that today's message will give you the empowerment that you need. The freedom to be able to go, thank you God and I'm so deeply loved. You know everything about me, good and bad. And yes, this weakness is something that I need to look at myself in the mirror. Because you are wanting not just my happiness and my comfort. You want to save me from me. Because in that, I become a better father. I become a better wife. I become a better friend. I become more holy in Christ-like. And it begins to ripple out and transform the relationships you have around me. Is this okay? If I can get the worship team come up, last one is this. So then Paul begins to shift and he goes this in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer person is decaying, we experience that all the time. I've got hearing aids, it's decaying, right? It really is. So sincere apologies, I'll make this as a public thing so I don't say this 400 times. When you come up here sometimes and you ask for prayer and I can't hear you, you know why, Yeah. Yeah, and so like when I'm leaning down to speak up. But anyway, that's my outer body decaying, right? Yet our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary. Everyone say momentary. Our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things that which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Not the things that are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And here Paul begins to give this picture of being able to not be short-sighted in the way we live in this world. We can be so short-sighted. We look at the things right here, right now, in this moment. And yes, we know eternity as a concept. But he's saying there is grace that can come to you when you move from seeing short-sighted to go long-sighted. Can I hear an amen? When you move from seeing the seen to the unseen. When you move from seeing the temporal to the eternal. And when you begin to do that shift, you will experience the grace of God in what I call your long suffering. Which is the grace to see past the momentary pain and see through. Everyone say see through. Everyone say it again. Ready? One, two, three. See through. See through to God. And I want to finish on this point because I believe it's really significant. And it's very real. I'm going to be a bit French, right? Kind of skate life. There are a lot of things in our life that we experience and many of you are experiencing and we're meant to walk with you through it. There are no quick fixes. I believe God heals, but sometimes He doesn't. I believe God is able to transform your life, but we're living between now and when He fully comes and fully delivers us. There God works now and here, but not fully. And so there are some things that which are not quick fixes. It might be a chronic illness. It might be your child who has special needs. It might be a situation that you are facing in your workplace or, or whatever it is. You, there are no quick fixes. But this is where the grace is there for your long suffering. Now, what do I mean by this as an example? So I want to share, I've shared this with some of you before. But I remember when I was going through grief with the loss of my late wife four years ago. Wait. 
I went through the book of Job. And this was so insightful for me to experience the grace of God in long suffering. And when you read the book of Job, after 42 chapters, he lost his family, his health was compromised, he lost all his assets and his welfare and finances. Can you imagine? You lost everything. And he's going, God, I pray for breakthrough. I pray for breakthrough. God, give me that breakthrough. How many of us will want that breakthrough? But yet, there is a difference between the breakthrough that we want and the kind of breakthrough that God gives. And here we see this is the moment of Job's breakthrough. Where he wasn't healed. He didn't get his family restored. He hasn't got all his assets reestablished. But this, this was his moment of breakthrough. And it says this, Then Job replied after chapters of venting to God, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about things far too wonderful for me and you said listen and I will speak I have some questions for you and you must answer them and then this is the key point he says I had only heard about you before but now I have seen you with my own eyes I take back everything I said and I sit in the dust and ashes to show my repentance imagine this guy lost everything and his breakthrough for grief was through repentance and ashes That's the breakthrough that I would want to seek. But this was the breakthrough that God gave. That he was able to see past the momentary to see the eternal. That there are things I don't understand, but God, you know everything. And because of that, I don't need to ask those questions anymore. God, I'm losing it now, but I'm going to see it again for eternity. I'm talking at a heart level. I'm not talking at a head level. And so that really spoke to me. And then it ministered to me in this moment. This was my last 15 minutes with Wei. She was an organ donor. It was Thursday, 8 a.m., where she was meant to go to the operating theater. And I used to think this about time. I used to think that, you know, if we knew when our time was, it'd be so awesome, you know, I lived differently. You know, I've learned a lot. When I had my cancer and God gave me a renewed lease of life, I realized, you know, use time purposefully. Amen? Don't squander it. Use it for the kingdom of God. But in this moment, I learned something different about time. And I used to think that if I knew when my time was, it would be perfect. But this was the most stressful 16 minutes of my life. I would be counting down the clock going 16 minutes. 15 minutes left to hold her hand. 12 minutes. 10. 9. 8. 7. 6. 5. 4. 3. 2. And I saw her hospital bed being guided down the corridor. It was painful. But in that moment, I saw past my momentary pain and I saw through to God. Because I realized why God designed that time that way. Where we do not know our time. Because if we did, we would be stressed all the time. Can I hear an amen? Who wants to be stressed all the time? 
But praise God for His design of time that you do not know when your time is, so that you can be freely present, alive, in that moment. Can I hear an amen? And even though it was painful, but I was able, by God's grace, was there to see past the moment into the unseen God who controls time and say, Chi, this is how I want you to start living. Purposeful, but yet present in the moment. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Now finish with this. Grace in hard places. And yet Paul says, the life that we are meant to live as a revived people is the life that Christ lives. Where we are died to self, but yet alive in God. There is death, but there is life. It is the cruciform life that he has called us to live. And I wanted to leave this picture with you because we believe that God wants to do something to refresh and revive your life. But what does that look like for you in your world, in your journey for 2023? And I'm afraid that we will miss it if we have an American version of what a romantic ending that is dishonest, like a faith that is escaping life. But I'm also afraid that we will have a French version of it where we become so cynical and not hopeful and not faith-filled. But yet, to put this forward before you, a Christ-centered vision of what revival can look like for you. But for us to step into that is for us not just understanding the grace of God to forgive our sins, but the grace of God to enable you to find Him, to live for Him, to step up and live to His will in those hard places. Grace in the everyday grind. Grace in your brokenness and weakness. And grace in your long-suffering. Amen? So why don't we just stand up and then I'm I'm just going to pray and then the team will lead us in worship. Lord God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us, Lord God. We thank you for the way um, you want wanting to speak to each and every one of us. I believe right now, God, you're speaking. Lord, you're speaking to into our spirit, into our soul. We thank you that we have these treasures in jars of clay. We thank you, Lord, that we can face the reality of life, but yet be able to live above it because that you are living within us. And you are actively present and at work in the 10,000 everyday moments that we are in. So God, I just pray that you will open our eyes, our hearts to see and experience and depend on your grace in whatever it is that we're facing. I pray for some of us who as they heard this sermon, they had the the niggling confrontation that they have to deal and face their own weaknesses. God, they've been scared, they've been trying to run away from it, but Lord God, I pray that today you will give them the power, your grace to be able to face it in a way that can transform them to become more like you. And so, Lord God, we thank you. And Lord God, we just want to pray also for those who need healing. We had a, a word of knowledge. Uh, the Lord wants to heal those with neck pain, jaw joint issues, but also heart disease. If you've got any of those, uh, we would like to pray for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.